export promotion and industrialization strategy. Now, South Korea's celebrated national strategy of export promotion and policy intervention was characterized by its pragmatic and flexible nature and the efforts made to coordinate execution between the public and private sectors. The South Korean government caregiver displayed firmness of resolve tempered by a realistic bent. Her chables are a great testament and validation of her methods. Now, a chable is just the Korean term for conglomerate. Before a discussion on industrialization policy begins, we acclaim and we regard we observe the progress that the Koreans did make in their present technical and industrial might. And it is that that beckons us actually. It's that that calls us to go and look in into their strategy. It is that very result that begs the question, how do nations industrialize? It's this very result that pulls us in to a study of Korean industrialization policy. In very gross terms, the government was like a very involved parent, say, heavily invested in Korean industrial growth. The government and private enterprise was so closely linked as to produce what are, by some measure, corrupt practices, a bit of rent-seeking. That I myself don't try to put a moral lens or, or the focus is not the morality of the process, but it is important to point that out, that the very close relationship did produce instances or more than instances of rent-seeking. We all hold Samsung phones in our hands today. We drive Korean-made cars of very high quality, rivaling those of Japan. The gadgetry from our kitchens to our laundry rooms and our living rooms also rival those of Japan. And this is why it's worth having a look under the hood. The overarching theme of Korean regime policies was a progressive average, progressing average techn technological level. The government made great efforts to encourage the private sector to keep climbing up the technological ladder. A system of moral suasion and rituals, including regular trade promotion meetings held between the government and private sector, kept the nation on track to meet development goals. 
the signing of foreign technology licensing agreements was pursued in a manner that coordinated the leadership of the government and private sector input. Now, a central focus of the government's involvement in Korean industry was encouraging Korean enterprise to move up the technological ladder, that is, keep on improving the sophistication of your technical applications. Keep making more difficult stuff. Keep studying, conducting research to enable you to produce more sophisticated goods. And this is not without reason. Highly technical goods are very difficult to make and very valuable in the global market because not everyone can make them. If, if everyone could make, say, a Mercedes-Benz, if every nation on earth could produce this vehicle, its value would be significantly lower than it is today. And you could take this and apply the same concept to any good. Very high, the goods that require highly specialized processes, highly technical processes, are more valuable on the market. Foreign technology licenses, where do these come in? Well, one has to ask at this point, how is it that the Koreans were able to obtain the technical knowledge to keep moving up the ladder? Well, part of the answer as I see it lies in tech in foreign technology licensing agreements. That is to say, col close collaborations with nations like Japan, obtaining licenses to make different technical applications. These licenses were the source, or at least part of a part of the answer to Korea's progressing tech technological advancement. The Korean government also placed an important emphasis on developing export-oriented infrastructure, the proverbial arteries of the economy. Industrial parks, free trade zones, major motorways, and energy-producing facilities were given a high-maintenance and expansion priority. Together, Korean infrastructure comprised the physical enablers of manufacturing. Now, when we look at Korea in the 1950s, 
Korean industry is focused in the north, where the Japanese built all their factories. So North Korea effectively housed all the industrial capacity of the Korean peninsula. When it is that Korea was split in two, well, North Korea got all the industries and South Korea had almost nothing in terms of industry. So Korea embarks upon the journey of establishing manufacturing centers to support these centers and to move goods, say intermediate goods between cities, say a partially made manufacturing product of one kind or another from one place to another the movement of, of labor and capital. So the workers that would work in the factories and the goods that would move around between the cities, it was important to improve Korean infrastructure. The Koreans spent considerable amount of capital on expanding their infrastructure. And this was not done without a strategy, without an overarching goal. The goal was to allow industrial cities to allow their major, say, their manufacturing hubs to be connected not only to each other, but to the export market. That is to say, roads that go to ports. And it's important to note that they're focused on, on the democratic variety of infrastructure. A road is very democratic because you choose how to use it and you as a producer or you as a consumer know best what it is you want and so you choose how you're going to use the road and in very general terms you actually arrive at a solution that is most efficient to you, that is most profitable to you and that in turn is more profitable to the nation. So by building roads that connect the manufacturing centers, the major industrial centers to each other and to the, the, the ports, Korea developed export-oriented infrastructure. Put this image into your mind. Pavlovian conditioning. The Korean private sector was bestowed with a collection of incentives and disincentives. They were designed to encourage industrial manufacturing and stress the production of export goods. South Korea's economy was effectively conditioned towards industry. This industrial bent is embodied by the industrial champions of the nations. The, the ubiquitous conglomerates termed Chaebol, among which Samsung and Hyundai are two of the most notable. Several disincentives were simple reversals of incentives. Together, these incentives and disincentives spanned the gamut. There were a whole collection from financial, quantitative, market intervention measures, moral suasion, and tax burden alleviations.
We mentioned earlier that the government was heavily involved in Korean industry. Now, the nature of this involvement You could imagine a desire by the government to lead, direct, and control, or rather motivate, the growth of industry. So the tools of leadership, direction, and motivation... Well, it's a menu of tools, actually. You have your, your financial incentives and disincentives. So you produce a bunch, of good, a bunch of goods for exports and you get low interest loans. You don't produce enough. Well, you lose your loan privileges. If you produce quite a few goods for export and the government is happy, you might get lower taxes on your exports. If you're doing really well, you're going to be hailed as a Korean champion. You get a kind of moral suasion. So, in essence, being industrious becomes part of the Korean moral fiber. Those who do well to produce are rewarded socially. Those who do not will be embarrassed the public level. The Korean government was very creative with its incentives and disincentives. Financial incentives included export subsidies and reward-based graduating loans. A typical manufacturer would have access to loans whose size would increase in tandem with this progressively meeting government export targets. Enterprises that fail to meet goals would lose loans and subsidies. A level up? The industries and sectors that fail to meet goals will attract attention from the government. The typical remedy being any combination of goal adjustments and capital injections. Now, Financial incentives. In order to understand what exactly the government was doing, you could picture, say, rivers flowing and financial incentives acting as diversions of that river. The government trying to divert the river into specific areas where it wants it to go. That's what incentives did in general. That's what, how the financial incentives also work. So if you're doing well, you get more loans and more subsidies. If you're do, doing poorly and you're not meeting your object, objectives, so the government is setting up goals for these companies. And if they're not meeting these goals, then they get more attention and their goals will be adjusted. More capital might be injected. And... Uh, Okay, this is as, as I understand it and as I can best remember. If you're doing, if you keep missing targets, okay, you can imagine that the government 
is assessing its its uh, the big picture and trying to assess okay how much should they help a small company that's not doing well and at some point a company will get cut off so an enterprise that fails to meet a goal will be cut off from loans and subsidies and perhaps be allowed to progressively spiral to to collapse or unless it picks itself up again to earn those subsidies anew quantitatively the government emphasized a preference for the import of export manufacturing destined capital goods positive import lists listed the only goods that could be imported they were comprised of the bare necessities, raw materials and capital goods destined for manufacturing. Those capital goods served both the import substitution strategy and the greater export promotion strategy. Import substitution refers to the practice of eschewing import of consumer goods for its domestic production. Positive import lists were later replaced by the more liberal negative lists that precise which goods could not be imported. Luxury products and other unnecessary goods were universally restricted under both quantitative, under both quantitative restriction regimes. Now, in addition to the financial incentives... And uh, the, some of the moral incentives we already glossed over. The government also instituted quantitative measures. Essentially, the government took a number of made lists and specified which goods could or could not be imported. So... Korea started off with positive import lists and these lists basically had on them the only goods that were allowed to be imported. The government chose or developed this list based on the goods that they saw were important for stimuli for uh, as as inputs as manufacturing inputs. So that means raw materials like petroleum and uh, say the machines, machine tools for manufacturing, and then the food that Korea itself could not produce. Korea, the Korean leadership wanted only the bare necessities to enter the border. Now, this serves um, a lot of, uh, or, or rather, let's say one of the clearest objectives of such a policy is to reduce the outflow of foreign currency because as you import you're actually spending foreign currency so if the korean government could divert resources financial resources that is the foreign currency towards capital goods or inputs manufacturing inputs then they hoped that they would get more bang for that buck so no importing gucci's no importing luxury cars, yes. And because essentially it's the elite who import. So if you allow them to import whatever it is they want, they could import even foreign education. 
can be regarded as an import. So you have your dollars and you pay for your children to study abroad. That is a type of import. Spending foreign, hard-earned foreign currency on what the government has determined is not in the immediate national interest. Now, positive lists were later replaced by negative lists. Now, imagine a list that says this is these are the only things you can import. These, the, these were positive lists. They were re later replaced by or accompanied by, let's say, negative lists. And negative lists precise which goods could not be imported. So over time, as, as Korea's economy continues to grow, the government, you know, uh, without getting into the details of the considerations that they made, they decide that, hey, we are going to change the lists and add negative lists. And the negative lists say these are the goods that can or, or rather cannot be imported. So with, instead, instead of saying you can only import petroleum, now the list says you can't import Gucci or Prada. Policy incentives included preferential imports, access, and various forms of industry protection measures. Undervaluation of currencies protecting domestic manufacturers on the monetary front. Now, when you're looking at um, the Korean policy incentives, what to have in mind is that these incentives are looking to protect domestic manufacturers. So you look at different fronts on which you can protect these manufacturers, and one of them is a the monetary front. So by undervaluing the currency, exports are made cheap, and this in turn protects industry because now imports are very expensive. Domestic consumers... If they have to choose between a domestic manufactured good and a foreign good, will now consume domestic. And foreign, say, uh, purchasers or consumers of Korean goods are now encouraged to consume Korean products. Policies aimed directly at the industries themselves included the targeted infant industry protection protocols, the awarding of monopoly rights to export compliant industries, and the bestowing of preferential import access again. Finally, star performers could expect their tax burdens to be relieved. A sweet concoction of tax breaks and exemptions on various forms of income and capital goods was served to the deserving players. Industries that do well get more protection. You do really well in your in your sector, and you might even be given manu monopoly rights. Preferential import access is another type of uh, infant industry protection policy that serves the domestic industry. So. You do well, you're a star performer, all kinds of incentives are brought to, to the fore and uh, designed to encourage you to continue to export.
the fruits of this noble labor that is industrialization are juicy. The visionary maternal policymaker will appropriate the essence of its lessons and tailor her child-rearing style to her resource endowments, maintaining the overall goal of industrialization while making pragmatic adjustments around the way. The tenets of industrialization are textbook. The environment around which they are, they are applied is not.